This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hey everyone, this is Z Prime On the Grid. I am Dylan Lockwood. We will get to my interview with Arizona Public Services' Omaya Ahmad. But first, I would like to introduce my co-host. Joining me potentially for the last time is Aaron Hardick. Uh, Aaron, how's it going? Why don't you catch us up to speed with what's going on? Yeah, Dylan, it probably is going to be the last time we co-host on the grid together. So I'm sad this has been really fun project for us to work on over the past three years but I'm also excited because I have a new adventure ahead of me that's uh that's good that's good to hear that uh you're moving on to you're moving on to bigger and better uh this is only the second time I've had to say goodbye to a podcast host never gets any easier um what's (laughs) it been I, I know it's been an absolute I know it's been an absolute pleasure for me having you on the show, but what's it been like for you being a podcast host for the last uh, three years? I've learned a lot co-hosting the podcast with you over the past three years. We've met so many different people in energy and outside of energy and mobility um, buildings. We've interviewed just quite a variety of experts on a variety of topics. So, I've learned a lot about a lot of different things. Um, I also think that I've just, because of the format of of the podcast, I've learned how to become, you know, like a better listener and a better conversationalist because that's what podcast interviewing is all about. And then I would also say that I've, learned how to think critically about issues on the spot and like what I mean by that is a lot of times we'll have guests on and they'll start talking about something that we didn't plan for them to talk about or something that we didn't account for so it kind of requires you to think on your feet to be able to conduct an engaging interview yeah what's sort of the difference between i mean that, that that's you just laid out one of them but what are some of the differences between this style of content and some of the other types that that you, that you do as a part of z prime like the video like video interviews webinars um and the just the other all the kinds of content that you're a part of well the podcast is definitely the most in-depth style interview we do it's a longer format than most of the video interviews and it's different than webinars because one there's no visual medium involved but typically with webinars there's multiple people um, and then there's also some audience involvement but the podcast is just you and I typically interviewing one person for you know 30 or 40 minutes sometimes two depending on the episode and the topic so it's the most in-depth interview style so you learn you have to learn more about each of the topics learn more about the interviewee um so that really sets it apart from other 
types of content. And then one other thing that's really different about the podcast is you can, because there's no visual element to it, there's no video, you can research things kind of on the spot as they're happening. So when I, like I mentioned, something, a topic will come up or a point will be made that we didn't account for since, you know, we're just sitting there at our computers with our microphones, I can kind of quickly look things up and take those into account when I'm trying to come up with questions on the fly. So I would say those are the two things that really set it apart. The, the length and the depth and then the ability to research during the interview. I, th I, think, I think you're right about all of those. Uh, what were some of your favorite interviews that you've done? Well, we've done so many. I honestly, how many have we done? Like, oh my gosh! It ha over I mean, it right? definitely it's definitely over a hundred. We're probably we're probably closing in on two hundred now because we did one every week this year for the most part. Um, well, it was hard to choose favorites from given the amount, so I tried to narrow it down to just five, and then I had some runners up, runner runner ups, runners up. Um, I, I'm actually not sure. Maybe, maybe you're probably right that it's maybe runners up, like attorneys general. Yes. So I'm gonna, okay. We'll go with runners up. Okay. Um, but I, my top five are, and in, this is no particular order. Um, we did an interview with Gretchen Stewart from Intel, and she just talked about, and it wasn't really too related to energy. Um, she just talked about the brain and neuroscience and how we as humans have the ability to continuously learn and essentially restructure kind of our neural like pathways. So biologically, we are wired to keep learning. And that was a really interesting interview. I think, you know, we do so many interviews related to energy and electricity and utilities, it's always fun to kind of step outside of that arena. That was definitely one of my top or one of my favorite interviews. Also, at the beginning of this year, I traveled to National Grid in Boston and did an in-person, three-person interview with Marcy Reed, Sherilyn Moore, and Angela O'Connor. These are all women who have held executive positions in the energy industry and we talked about uh, mentorship and encouraging young women to be more uh, encouraging young women to get into in energy and utilities and they gave advice on you know how to do that what they've learned over the course of their careers so that was you know really important to me as a young woman in the industry and just learning about what these other women have done to, you know, find success and fulfillment in their careers. I also really like the interview we did with Josh Gould. Um, technology isn't enough. And that's when we covered culture and the importance of culture in undergoing business transformation, which is still really a hot topic. I think we did this one. I don't know, at the beginning of this year, earlier on in this year, maybe late last year, now we're seeing a lot of people talk about it. And it's kind of become one of the central narratives 
in energy and utilities, this idea of people and the role that people play in trying to make business transformation or more specifically digital transformation around new technologies, how you get people to do that, how you motivate people to do that. Um, that was a really great interview with Josh, who was working on that within a utility. So he had a really great perspective uh, to provide. These last two, my top five are throwbacks <laughs> to the beginning of the podcast. We did uh, an interview with Amir Hussein around artificial intelligence. And essentially the premise of the interview is that we we shouldn't be afraid of artificial intelligence. And he's um, an expert in that area, He's written a book, I think maybe at this point, maybe two books on it, um, has his company Spark Cognition, uh, that current now even has a partnership with Boeing and really understands a lot of applications of artificial intelligence in a variety of industries. But that was a really fun interview because I am, someone who's really interested in AI and the different applications of it. And I'm also on his team, I guess, in the sense that I don't think it's something that we should be scared of, but something that we should embrace. And there are different schools of thought on that. I think, you know, some people really kind of reject or are scared of what AI may do, but he is of the line of thinking that we should embrace it and not be afraid of it. And then my last one was the interview we did with Rayford Smith, Great Expectations of Data Analytics, mostly just because Rayford is incredibly intelligent, but also a very engaging human. Um, he's a great person to interview, very interesting. Um, and super nerdy. <laughs> so he's just always a fun person to talk to. And he was previously, when we conducted the interview, he was working at Entergy. Now he has since moved on and is working for Google. So he's just the kind of guy that whenever you get the chance to pick his brain, you really need to take advantage of it. And we were lucky enough to do that. My favorite interview that you did was when you and Aaron Otan uh, talked with Ashley Horvat from Green Lots uh, while you were in the in the car on the EV road trip uh, back when that was a thing we could do, uh, I, I I guess part of it is because I will sort of always think of you as an EV person. I know that's a important issue for you, and and that's really emblematic of it. But also, it's just a really um, good interview where you're sort of uh you're, you know you're talking to her in a very very ca very casual kind kind of way uh which is a setting that people are are not often talking about or th that you're not seeing people in the space talk about electric vehicles and that's cool that makes sense i think that's also one of the things that makes podcasting unique is the how casual the conversations can be you know sometimes it just feels like you're on the phone having a conversation with your friends which i think makes people more comfortable and more willing to share uh, but that it was hard 
for me. I wanted to put there because we had two podcasts from the EV road trip. Um, and I wanted to put those in the top two, but they, they're probably runners up uh, on the list. I remember that interview because we were in the Tesla and we were on a small two lane highway somewhere out in West Texas. And there's an 18 wheeler perpendicular to the highway with a cross highway and we were conducting the interview and then we were driving up to it and Aaron and I are trying to somewhat analyze the situation as we're also trying to conduct this interview thinking about how we're going to get around this 18 wheeler that's completely blocking the road it was definitely a memorable moment like uh, the the only one that like even comes close is like some of the live ones we did um like at Distributech or uh, at the or at that one uh, retreat where there where I was just nervous about like people coming by or or a loud boat coming by and ruining the audio, but um, nearly crashing into an eighteen wheeler probably tops that. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I'll let you go soon, but just want to know uh, for our listeners what's what's next for what's next for Aaron Hardick. Well, I'm staying in the industry. I'm not done with energy and utilities. Um, I'm going to lead the research efforts at the Utility Analytics Institute. So you can find me working on utility-related research there. But I'll also stick around and still be doing media and other things. I'm still participating in the Prime's We Three event, which I believe is coming up in December. Um, so you'll still see me around and I expect to, you know, work on some partnership projects with Z Prime in the future. Well, glad to hear that you're not going to be gone for good. And, you know, maybe we'll have you on for the podcast. I'll probably try and get you to do something around we three so yeah uh i guess i guess with that uh all it's really left to say is is that uh it's been a real pleasure um doing this doing this podcast with you uh for as long as we have as long as we've been doing it uh you're you're the you're the last co-founder to to leave and uh i'm I don't know what's gonna. I don't know what the show's gonna look like going forward, but I do know I'm gonna miss the heck out of you. Well, I've had. I've also really enjoyed hosting the show with you, Dylan, over the past three years, and I do want to say thank you to all of our listeners that have stuck by us and continued to support the show, even when we ramble and probably don't make sense or make the most interesting points sometimes so i want to thank the listeners for sure too we never ramble aaron who's who said that (laughs) no we never ramble (laughs) it's never happened um all right uh when we come back uh my interview with aps's omaya ahmad i do have someone else who's pretty cool here to talk with me today. Uh, We have Omaya Ahmad, Sustainability Policy Consultant at Arizona Public Service. Welcome, Omaya. How are you? 
I'm doing well. It's good to be here, Dylan. Happy to have you. Um, it's, it, I haven't talked with you since uh, we did our panel together uh, at ETS about decarbonization, which is now uh, on YouTube uh, for under Z Prime. So go give that go give that a listen. <laughs> uh, shameful, shameful self plug there. I, um, I accept it. But we learned a lot about what uh, about some of the work that you're doing um, down at APS. So for some of our listeners. Uh, why don't you tell us, first of all, about APS's zero carbon goal? Because I remember you saying that you guys kind of rolled it out ahead of schedule. So how did you sort of come to the decision to take initiative on this? Yeah, so APS this year at the beginning of the year announced what we have branded a clean energy commitment. And that sets an aspirational goal for us to reach providing our electricity to customers from 100% uh, clean sources by 2050. That's our broad range goal. Um, part of that announcement came with the restructuring of our sustainability department, which is what I kind of came in with. I joined our sustainability department in April. Um, sustainability is now being connected at the company with policy level decisions. So a lot of what I'll talk today is coming from this policy oriented background. And um, whereas before uh, sustainability was rooted within our environmental department. So we're getting more of like this umbrella type uh, reaching all sectors kind of approach. And that's kind of what's really new right now for us. Um, this decision at this juncture in this time frame comes from very much uh, the policy uh, track that Arizona is taking um, right now. Uh, our current uh, renewable energy standard that we are following is a little bit outdated. I, I should say, honestly, it's a lot outdated. It was set in 2006 and everybody listening can assume that energy policy in 2006 is really no longer applicable for our standards today with the proliferation of solar technologies and renewables. Um, but so in 2006, Arizona set out a course of 15% renewables uh, by 2025, APS long ago met that. Actually, all Arizona utilities have already met that goal. Um, so, in a sense, this is why we are we are cutting edge with our our clean energy commitment. Um, our commission is currently vetting; they're updating those rules in an energy rules docket, um, but that's not yet set, and um, that's why we're we're kind of jumping the gun here. Um, another thing that has affected our decision at this point in time is that we are now newly capable to um, incorporate new technologies and new partnerships. We joined what's called the Energy Imbalance Market in 2016, and that enables us to partner with California and other Western utilities to move uh, renewable energy that's not being used um, and bring it here in times when we might be able to use it. And then likewise, do the same when we're not using renewable energy, put it on the market in almost real time. Um, and that's, that's new. Uh, we had storage advancements um, and so on and so forth for, for new capabilities at this point. And then I would say, uh, it's, it's, I'd be remiss to, remiss to say, not bring up that we're doing this because it's, it's literally Really, the right thing to do. Um, it, we have to be anticipatory to address um, global climate change and be, you know, global citizens in that respect and recognize ourselves as such. Um, but also, we we like to look out for our customers in terms of uh, keeping costs down and uh, going clean is is becoming more synonymous with with more cost effective movement. 
Um, and then our customers, our state, our policymakers, other stakeholders that are invested, they just, they, they collectively want more uh, clean focus and, and we're, we're responding to that too. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of angles you ha kind of have to have to hit this from. And I, I very much agree uh, with your with your assessment that, of course, it's you know the right thing the right thing to do. Um, it's sort of you know an imperative. Um, but uh, you know, on the other hand, you do have um, you know you do have the very specific challenges and very routine challenges of just operating an electric utility um, in in Arizona. So uh, when you're working out like this kind of a long-term plan like that, especially like, you know, one that's 30 years out, like the 2050 goal, how do you make sure you're hitting those goals, those milestones, while still ensuring um, that you're addressing the, 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 the needs of your day-to-day -day business? Yeah, uh, those needs are something that we have always considered, but it in this in this year, um, it's it's kind of been highlighted. We we just finished in Arizona, going through our worst summer ever, um, and we I kind of feel like we say that every summer, but this one in particular was pretty bad. Um, we had record temperatures. We had over 140 days of 100 plus degree weather. Uh, we had over 50 days of 110 plus degree weather. Um, we had the least rainfall we've ever had over summer, and in Arizona, summer is our high rainfall season. We got only 0.6 um, inches of rain in the Phoenix metropolitan area, which is tiny for us. Um, so uh, we have to really consider what reliability means for our state and for our customers. Um, and when you're talking about these exaggerating temperatures, um, our customers' access to our electricity and the reliability of our electricity is literally the, the difference between health and, and safety. Um, so that comes first and foremost. Um, and so that's always in the back of our mind. We don't want to jump into um, changing things too quickly if we can't make sure that this reliability is, is met. Um, but at the same time, balancing our accountability. And when we say we want to hit these lofty goals, how do we meet that? So um, our clean energy commitment incorporates one interim milestone. We are aiming for reaching 65% clean by 2030. Currently, right now, we're around the 50% mark. So um, we're in a 10-year time frame. We're going to increase that by 15%. Additionally, I mean, we, we're working in in um, parallel with our commission, who again, remember, is still considering their own energy rules, and they also are considering considering own, their own interim targets that we might have to respond to and change ours as well. So that might change. Um, on the day-to-day -day basis, our utility performs what's called um, an integrated resource plan, an IRP. We do it every three years, and every three years we create a new 15-year outlook that forecasts our demand and and talks about how we plan to meet the demand for 15 years with what resource mix. Uh, we just we just submitted ours um, this year, so we hit our three-year mark this year. So that that helps us. That regulatory uh, requirement helps us also restructure our our goals along the way. So we're always kind of trying to match all those pieces at the same time. But yeah, there, summer was rough. <laughs> So, and what summer is rough, I think, means something different in Arizona than it does here. Um, it's like you're you're talking about. I, I believe you told me half the year was over 100 degrees in Arizona this past year. 
um, yeah, which is insane. Um, we didn't have we didn't have that here. We still had a the worst one of the worst summers just because of the fires in the Pacific Northwest here. Um, already having a we already having a very bizarre winter or bizarre fall where it was 60 degrees one day and the next day it dumped seven inches of snow and the leaves were still on the trees and so the branches you could hear the branches falling in the night like sounding like gunfire in the distance and everyone lost power because they were falling on power lines so um i it's very it's very good to hear that in in your neck of the woods at least um that you know that you've got that you're able to keep your keep your options open, keep your head on a swivel and uh, address different, uh, all these different aspects while still, because uh, it's not as simple as just flipping a switch and saying, all right, well, we're doing renewables now. There's a whole lot of things you have to think, there's a whole lot of things you have to consider. And it sounds like you're, you're, you're looking at, uh, at all those different directions. I mean, and, and that's the thing is that addressing climate change doesn't just mean helping prevent, prevent things down the road, although that's, that is the biggest part of it. It's also, since it's happening now, it's the utility also has to be flexible in how they're addressing um, this increase in um, this increase in critical weather events. Yeah, it's kind of a dual uh, purpose that we have to to reach. We have to, at the same time of playing our part to reduce the the causes of climate change, we also have to help people you know, survive and have and thrive through the effects of climate change. It's, it's, it's a balance for that. Uh, yeah. And we'll, we're definitely going to touch on the, on the, on the people aspect in just a minute, but the one last thing um, in regards to the, in regards to your, your long-term plans, um, when, when we're talking about uh, changing sort of the way the, the utility functions, uh, there, from a technology aspect, how are you factoring in the accelerating rates of innovation in this space in your long-term plans? When it comes to uh, incorporating new technologies, what's important from my aspect in the policy world is allowing for flexibility um, uh, in what we have to meet in, in regulation because um, flexibility allows us as a company to not unduly adopt technologies only because we have to meet an arbitrary milestone. So we want to completely vet technologies before we, we bring it on our, our system. Um, it costs money, our, our ratepayers invest in that with us. And if that, if that technology does not meet our needs long-term, if that finds out to be that case, it, it, it's not a good situation for us. Um, so having flexibility, leaving things open right now, again, we're looking until we're looking out until 2050 with a 10 year middle milestone in between leaving at the moment, the, the time in between that time areas open um, and we don't currently know the technologies that are going to bring us to that that 100 mark at 2050 but we are banking and and i would say educatedly guessing that we will have that available when when the time comes but we don't know if it's going to be in five years or if it's going to be in 20 years um, so that that uncertainty is is always present when you're banking on new technologies and innovations especially when we know we're going to need them So, uh, sort of cha uh, changing topics a bit. Uh, you are, you know, you're the sustainability policy consultant. Um, what are some of the biggest sustainability projects you're currently working on, or have recently finished? 
Yeah, so um, I talked a little bit already that uh, a, uh, APS has charted a new sustainability path. Uh, prior to this year, sustainability has, has primarily focused on meeting metrics and providing reporting uh, numbers out to um, various external um, groups. And right now we're looking more into the strategy aspect. Um, we follow what's called ESG, environmental, social, and governance type sustainability as our um, very loose framework. And I look at uh, primarily social, some governance policies uh, to affect our strategies. And, and this is ever-changing. My list right now, uh, not surprisingly, includes a little bit of APS's COVID response. That has huge social implications on the company and our customers. Um, I'm newly looking into, I, I hinted at what a bad summer we're having. This is having, um, it's opening up long-term discussions on what heat vulnerabilities our customers are experiencing and how do we meet those vulnerabilities with access to our energy service. Um, also, like another quick one I'll just put in there, we are charting a new course in our diversity, equity, and inclusion for our employees kind of strategy and, and policies internally. I'm looking at that too. But within this uh, larger discussion of our clean energy commitment, something that, that crosses over into the, the social aspect is when we, when we chart out these long-term goals, the social implications um, are still present, even if the long-term goals are more in the environmental and um, innovation area. And socially, something that comes along with this is we have decided to close our coal plants seven years uh, sooner, or exit our coal plants seven years sooner than we, we were originally planning to. Um, we will exit coal completely by 2031. Our two remaining coal plants, which we are the operators of, are in one's in a rural location in northern Arizona and another is on uh, the Navajo reservation in uh, New Mexico um, and it it to be responsible stewards of this transition to clean energy also includes making sure those communities who have built their communities around the economics that came from these coal plants are not shut out of this transition. We can't just leave coal and, and not, not um, help, these, help these communities also transition to a new economy. Um, and also the, the clean energy future, have a, have a stake in that, that game. Um, you're, you're, you're taking out an energy uh, some energy source of power and control and maybe offering more power and control in this, this new energy landscape oh. as well. And so that is what I'm working on. What are some of the policy solutions to that? Uh, well, right now, um, that it, it has no policy solutions. So we are, we are following half um, a little bit of the precedent that's set in other states. There, a few coal plants have had similar um, similar situations where they're located on uh, rural uh, and, and native land, and they those those examples um, are closest. One actually is also in New Mexico, and PNM did this with um, with uh, that community there, uh, and they did like this this collaboration where they worked with legislatures, so not the Corporation Commission there, worked with legislatures to pass an act um, 
I think it's called their Clean Energy Transition Act or something like that uh, a few months ago. It involves uh, setting funding targets for the, the utility, and it also involves partnerships with um, third-party entities to help distribute those monies to where they're really needed, and then setting, um, setting responsibilities with uh, training staff and offering jobs for, for workers as well. That's interesting. Um, so that's sort of, you know, that, that, that's, that's uh, one of the direct lines to the, to the community is poli or potential policies like that. How are community resources leveraged to drive or accelerate decarbonization um, and sustainability? So that, I mean, I can, I can go along the same thread um, because the policy is a little absent right now. We're building it as we go. The, the community um, resources are, are primarily coming from the people. It's about uh, assembling the groups of stakeholders that need to be present in this discussion and um, recognizing that our utility is not the place where all the answers are going to come from. And it isn't the place that all answers should come from. We cannot prescribe what this transition will look like for other communities outside our, um, in this case, it's even outside our service territory, but also outside of our, our um, expertise as well. So, I mean, our coal plant, uh, this one, it's the Four Corners coal plant, um, is uh, was built and started operating in the 60s. We have a long partnership with the Navajo Nation and the government. And we are using those relationships with the government and the council. And uh, we've been uh, leveraging their, their time to help chart what we're going to do together to, to transition that community. Um, but other than, but also pulling in uh, co-owners of the plants, pulling in interested stakeholders and, uh, that are, have more of an environmental uh, focus. Uh, all these these discussions have have wholeheartedly changed our our time frame for this project. It's accelerated it. Where we thought we you know we're not going to do this until 2031. We have been convinced that this is something that needs to be decided sooner. Um, so it's accelerated our our timeline. It is also um, it's also shaping what's being in, what's being considered as areas that we need to provide support to. Um, so talking more about instead of giving lump sums of cash, uh, what are the, they, we know now they want um, renewables development on, on their land. We know that they're looking at water and land rights. And, and um, these are all things that we, we wouldn't have totally had a big picture of if we weren't actually truly collaborating with our people. Yes. Uh, so one thing you uh, one thing you said um, earlier was that um, the you know the the answers aren't going to entirely come and shouldn't entirely come from the utility. Uh, the thing about that is that the utility is the electric electric utilities are probably some of the groups that outside of the auto industry that most feel the pressure, uh, the external pressure about climate change. Um, whenever climate change is talked about, like on, uh, like on a on a debate stage, almost always in reference to energy policy. Um, and so, I, like, so if it's not just coming from utilities, and it's uh, 
and there's sort of poli and there's sort of different stakeholders that are that need to be assembled. Um, how does that assembly? How does that sort of how does that assembly happen? Where are the term where are the terms sort of dictated? And how do you how do you manage manage being a part of that ecosystem while still being while still you know making sure that these are benefiting Arizonans? Yeah, I there are there are people that at APS that have had far more experience than I have, but I would say personally, a lot of that comes from opening the doors to to ideas and considerations that we know nothing about. Uh, that is that is another reason why I'm here joining you, Dylan. Like I'm, I'm talking a little bit about what APS is doing, and who knows what sort of connection I'll be able to make where people are like, oh, we're doing a little bit of this. Have you tried? Have you are you interested in trying? you know, testing out some sort of uh, technology that we're working on, who knows? Um, it, it's about being open with what, or, or and even providing our window, a window into what we're trying to do. Um, Cause we can't, we don't know what we don't know. Um, and it, when we don't have an idea of something that could provide a solution to what we're working on with our clean energy commitment in this given moment, um, we just have to be keeping our eyes open, having our having our pulse on what's going on uh, around the nation. You're right that it's about that it's a, that it's about dialogue. There's dialogue between you know there's dialogue that the utilities need to have with uh, with with policymakers, with community leaders, environment environmental groups, but also um, as you as you pointed out with with other utilities because even though these sorts of projects need to be you know, need to have, need to be locally minded, um, how you go about being locally minded can maybe have like some, some top level strategic similarities and also technology, which can, which is very kind of hardline results oriented sort of stuff that you can, that you can very much, uh, that you can very much get a beat on as long as you have, you know, people that you're talking to. Yeah, you totally hit that on the head. In, in that sort of vein, what are some of the uh, unique challenges of trying to do sustainability in Arizona? Yeah, uh, sustainability in particular is um, I, a lot of what I'm doing right now is educating what sustainability is and what makes that different mm -hmm. than um, just in the utility landscape than just having more of like a renewables outlook. Sustainability is a little bit more holistic in its approach to connect um, those environmental goals with a larger uh, social kind of effect and also the governance structures within our utilities and outs and external to our utilities um, that lead us there. So it, that education aspect is really big right now. Um, Arizona is, is um, I would say it's primed for sustainability adoption and, and focus um, because of our unique climate challenges with, with our heat in the summers. Um, it, it's one of those things that it's easy to, um, to get people to start considering more of a sustainability focus, especially with our, um, our proliferation of solar and stuff like that, uh, when you start speaking about it like that. But our policies are a little bit um, lagging. So it's also building those bridges in Arizona with our um, policymakers, our regulators, to open their minds to um, setting, setting kind of an example when it comes to 
to leading the way in sustainability. Um, Arizona traditionally has had a greater focus on um, on keeping costs low to customers, and that's where everything emanated from with with its energy policy. And we're we're having a little bit of a paradigm shift of um, starting to accept um, meeting climate goals uh, as a value. So, and then on the larger and then on the larger scale, what about APS's strategies can be modeled by other utilities in their decarbonization or sustainability approaches? And I, and then the follow-up to that would be what needs just have to be figured out at the local level. Yeah, um, I, I would say something that I'm just, and this is, it's, it's obvious, it's like a duh thing. Um, I, I'm excited that APS has confidence enough to take that leap and set the goal for itself in advance of uh, a policy requirement. Um, and I hope that is, is inspiring to other utilities considering the same. We are not the first to do something like this. So also I'll give credit where credit is due. Um, I am continually inspired by other utilities and, and their, uh, their commitment to sustainability and setting goals for themselves um all the time uh even in even in arizona our other two big utilities here srp and tep have set their own um goals similar to in vain to aps as well so i just know like we 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 are in good company as well um but i i i would also say um building building those bridges with with your your invested stakeholders is is key and it's something that we really focus on um, uh, creating trust with our regulators. Uh, um, I'd like to say that the utility is where things happen. We have to we have to do the actions. We have to create the electricity. We have to deliver it to our customers. Um, and and we we own that capability. We own that information. Um, when we think that we can do something or when we know it can't be done in a given time, we want our regulators and our policymakers to trust our word for it. Um, but also at the same time, balance that with, with being open to ideas. So having that integrity to, to change course when we learn new information. And, um, and we've always tried to build that trust with like regulators, but right now also we are we are trying to to open our minds more to to reach for new heights. Oh gosh, such a such a terrible cliche, but there you go. Well, here's here's another cliche, which is that the rising tide carries all ships. And I, I think <laughs> because the one of the one of the actual benefits of utilities being monopolies is that they can is, is that sharing that kind of information can maybe help make others help make other utilities more confident once they realize that things are like uh, well, you know we, we for our research a lot of the times we have to ask how certain we have to do these follow-up interviews where we ask people anonymously how they feel about certain technologies that we're surveying about and a lot of times when it comes to any technology be it decarbonization be it like cybersecurity or any kind of upgrade, um, there's a lot of, you'll get a lot of people that'll say things, uh, especially with smaller utilities, they'll say like, well, you know, we're we're interested in this technology where we, we'd like to see uh, someone else do, we'd like to see what someone else does with it and then figure it out from there. But like that utilities aren't necessarily 
broadcasting to other utilities, except for at like certain conferences, which we have not had a lot of this year because of COVID, that they're doing those sorts of things. So it's kind of this sort of, um, it it's self-defeating, but it's also like, it's, it's, it's also frustrating because they're, I guess what I'm just saying is there should probably be more communication because I think what you're I think what you're saying uh, what you what you've said about how a lot uh, you've been inspired by a lot of utilities but also what's um, helped you has been the confidence to what helped APS is the confidence to be able to make those pivots uh, I think those I think those things go hand in hand actually but uh, maybe that's a bit of speculation on my part. Uh, I, that's not speculation. I think, I think you're right to say that. And, um, it's, it, you know, it's challenging. I, I I'll, I'll go back to say that, like, because at utilities, we, we are tasked with, with meeting that, that basic customer need of electricity, we kind of get blindsided about what's outside our walls in terms of what other utilities are doing. And then when we, when we lift up to be like, has anybody else done this? I don't want to reinvent the wheel or uh, we're, we're traditionally risk adverse. Um, we want to even make sure that other people have done it and succeeded. Uh, we're only, we only take pause to, to do that when we're, when a, a huge pivot comes to our doorstep. And um, I, I think that, I mean, people like me who, who are actually really working on strategy, this, this could be my role. Uh, all the time to bring information in and out of APS to other people and then also to enhance our, our own as well um, because I don't have to make sure the lights stay on. I'm, I'm, I am now fishing for um, everybody's good ideas. Yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess what I, I, I didn't mean to, I, I, I guess I, I may have implied, ended up implying that, um, that there's, you know, a lot of that there's a bunch of navel gazing, and that's not really what I was saying. I I was mostly I, I mostly just meant that uh, I think if the pro if uh, if the process is more collaborative on like a on like an industry wide scale, then it might actually end up being easier. Yeah. But that's just some food for thought. Yeah, I agree with you. I collaboration. I mean. I, I'm a people person. So collaboration is, I, I will always agree with that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's taking that step to do it. The, the higher, the farther your, your scope becomes regionally and geographically, the less communication you have, but it doesn't mean that things won't apply to you. So you have to have the foresight to go and, and grab it yourself. Yes, you're, man, you're, man, you're much better at saying that stuff than I am. <laughs> I, I am not a people person, but I am a person that uh, is annoyed that I had to get used to yearly fires. And if I have to get used to yearly, like October snowstorms that rip all the trees down, I'm going to be very put out. So let's yeah, I think I think everybody is on that is that kind of person that's annoyed by fires and October snowstorms, or in my case, uh, October 110 degree weather. So ah! yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, it's 80 degrees hotter over there than it is here. Oh, it's Man. not 110 today. Don't worry. The snowstorm oh. that got that got you right now is currently hitting us. So oh, and, and right, right. not snow in Phoenix, but but we are no longer 110. So don't feel too bad for us. All right. All right. I'll I'll only feel bad about the fact you half of the year when it's over 100. <laughs> My goodness. All right. Well, Omaya, thank you so much uh, for being on today uh, and, and 
talking through all your strategies. No problem. Thanks for having me. And uh, everyone else, you can find our research and media at zprime.com. You can find us on social media at D.Y. Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at zprime underscore research. Uh, my name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.